It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Jive, 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 jive. All you hive jive junkies out there, brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is the Hive Jive. <laughs> well, howdy-ho. Buckle up, because I am about to take you on a wild ride filled with laughs and drama. Let's face it, if you're listening to the podcast in consecutive order, then you just finished episode 144, which was titled In Remembrance of 2021. And based on that, you could probably use a good laugh and a big distraction from life at this point. Sorry. Not sorry. Before we get too far down this rabbit hole of an episode, let's take a moment to go back and acknowledge that the intro was obviously different from what you're used to hearing at the opening of the main podcast. Well, that's because this is a standalone episode. It doesn't exactly fit in with the first three seasons that came before it, and it's not part of the upcoming fourth season. So it was only fitting that I started off with a random standalone intro to kick it all off. That intro happens to be a mashup of what is currently playing at the beginning of our Beekeeper Chat episodes over on Patreon. With one small caveat. Can you guess? <laughs> it's something that I'm sure you noticed right off the bat. I mean, it's in the title after all. And it's something that I have been jokingly saying to myself ever since November of last year. Or at least, what the little voice in my head keeps saying anyway is, Now you know... You're going to go walking through the forest and go down in the hollow over there, and you're going to hear yourself some banjos. <laughs> so by God, let there be banjos. <laughs> I know, random AF, right? Or is it? There's always a method to the madness, and there are clues hidden even in the tiniest details of this show if you happen to know where to look or what you're listening for. The intros and outros themselves often hide Easter eggs, or in this case, inside jokes. Or both. So... Why the banjos, you ask? Well, you see, a lot has changed since we chatted on the main segment episode. Oh, wait, actually, hang on. Speaking of, let me clarify that statement real quick. Because I do say it a lot, and it does actually mean something, but not everybody may necessarily understand what I'm referring to. Main segment episodes refer to the main podcast and its core content. This is the stuff that usually comes out as weekly episodes traditionally released on Mondays, and that's been that way for several years now. I refer to it as such to help distinguish it from our other content that is also out there, such as the bonus episodes that are currently being released here as filler, the exclusive Hive Jive Junkie Feed out there on Patreon, and all that that includes, such as the Deeper Dive episodes, Beekeeper Chats, and the training and education tutorials and videos that live on Patreon as well. Now that we've cleared all that up, and you now understand what I mean by main segment, let's go back to the main topic, banjos. As completely random as it may seem, the banjos are a tongue-in-cheek nod to some real backwards craziness. <laughs> the title of that specific song is called Dueling Banjos, and it is a direct reference to the movie Deliverance. Now, I am not necessarily recommending that you go watch Deliverance. <laughs> if you do, do so at your own risk. However, I am taking some creative liberties with this. You see, Deliverance was set in a fictitious stretch of wilderness in Georgia, but I am using it to refer to the great swath of forested, mini-mountainous terrain in the center of the United States, collectively referred to as the Ozarks. 
Some of you may instantly know the region that I'm referring to, and for others, it may conjure up references such as the current Netflix series with Jason Bateman. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny the accuracy of that show, but what I can say is that the banjos make me laugh. And sad or not, (laughs) there's some truth to it. Are you still asking yourself what on earth this actually has to do with the hive jive? Well, I suppose if you haven't figured it out yet, I can go ahead and let you in on the secret. But first, a disclaimer. If you're driving, you might want to pull over. If you're standing, sit down or at the very least hold on to something. Brace yourself, because I no longer live in Texas. I'll pause here for a moment while you uh, clean up that drink you just snorted. (laughs) Yeah, logically, you're also probably saying to yourself, please, God, tell me he did not move to the Ozarks. (laughs) Well, that is actually exactly what I did. I know, the world's upside down, nothing makes sense anymore. That's just how it is. But hey, now we all know how those Aussies feel like, right? Upside down, get it? (laughs) We can thank good old Ken for that reference. This whole plan of moving has been in the works for a while now. But, as they say with best laid plans, the universe loves to mess them up. (laughs) Boy, did it ever. The original idea was to move towards the East Coast, somewhere in the Blue Ridge Mountains, likely in North Carolina to be specific. This was supposed to happen sometime in the first quarter of 2022, which is kind of where we're at right now. The plan was to travel out to the region around the fall of 2021 to scope it all out in advance. But with COVID still very much being a pain in everyone's ass, the airlines having major issues and delayed and canceled flights everywhere, we decided that that time period probably wasn't the best and we were just going to go ahead and scrap that trip for the time being and instead take a family road trip. You know, go for a drive, see the countryside... Witness the beauty of nature as all the trees turn the beautiful shades of red, yellow, orange. You know, the colors that you see inside your hive when you look at the pollen and the bee bread. That kind of stuff, only on trees in real life. You see, Texas does not have these types of things. I mean, yeah, there may be a tree here or there, but no. If it turns, it turns brown and the leaves fall off. It's not the same thing. So we wanted to get out and we wanted to go just kind of experience a little bit of nature and get away from it all for a little while. So that was the plan. However, that all went out the window on a complete and utter whim about halfway through the trip when I randomly bought a house. (laughs) Yep, just like that. It started off innocently enough, you know, just curious about the local market in the region and what the housing prices look like, which then led to finding a home that was having a showing and it just happened to be right down the road from where we were staying. So, of course, we had to go look at it. It was just right there, after all. I mean, you know, I would equate <laughs> I would equate this next part to the same concept of going shopping when you have the munchies. <laughs> the house was twice the size of our old place in Austin. Beautiful hardwood floors throughout, multiple decks, a nice piece of land surrounded by forest land on three sides, And it came with chickens. So, of course, I bought a house. And then I asked my mom how she felt about living in the Ozarks. (laughs) Or, well, at least, that's how she likes to tell it. She neglects to include the fact that I'd been asking her for months about places that she would like to possibly live someday or 
places that she would prefer not to live. And this had been going on for months up to this impromptu purchase. So we had all really already resigned ourselves to the fact that we would likely be moving sometime soon. And the mountains were definitely in the picture. It just turned out it wasn't the same mountains and it was way sooner than we expected. By the time we made it back to Austin, the deal was already done and the clock was ticking like a time bomb. Change was coming way sooner than originally anticipated and things had to get in line and get accomplished. In a matter of a few short weeks, I had to sell off all of my excess boxes and equipment I liquidated roughly half of my top bar and Langstroth colonies to my regular clients from over the years, and the remaining 20-some-odd colonies were purchased by Be Mindful, as Les and Natalie took over the main apiary location that I used to run there in central Texas, just south of Austin. It was a whirlwind. <laughs> oh my god of craziness. And it all happened in less than a month. I had gone from 46 total colonies down to just a single Langstroth hive that would be the lone colony to start this new adventure. For those of you that follow us on Instagram, this hive was the same one that I posted about where I referred to OB1 Colony, you are our only hope. <laughs> and just in case you didn't catch that, that is another tongue-in-cheek reference, only this time, obviously, Star Wars, duh. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, though, the colony did not make it past a month. I know, drama, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> so... Here's the ill-fated story of OB1 Colony and its ultimate demise. Once I got up here and got settled, I scooped out the land, made sure everything was good, got in good with the local neighbors that would be surrounding the property on either side, and found a place that I could put OB1 Colony. Again, if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you might have seen a couple of pictures of this. A few of those pictures happen to be covered in snow, because that's a thing up here. <laughs> also, not something that we ever hardly had in Texas. But on that note, it does make things a little bit more in line with the rest of everybody out there, where now I have to deal with some of the same winter things that we talk about on the show all the time and I give advice about. Now I get to put those into play myself, like I did back in the old days in Missouri when I was doing apprenticeships. So, back to OB1 Colony. I found this place, this beautiful little ledge that overlooked a drop-off in a ravine in the forest. Sunlight beams down through the trees and hits this exact little location, which is one of the few spots that sunlight comes through. So, I figured that this would be a great place to put it. And I set it up initially the way that I've set up all of my hives back in Texas. I put some cinder blocks down, set the hive on top of it. That's really about all it needed, as long as it's high enough off the ground that if any pests do come along, little critters such as skunks or raccoons or anything, and they screw with the hive, the hive is just high enough that any of the bees that come out can actually sting the underbelly, that nice soft tissue of any of these intruders. Also, obviously, it's up high enough then if running water or anything should come through from a rainstorm, it doesn't get into the colony itself. So I get it all set up. It's all great. I love it. I leave it there. I come back about a week later, hike down through the woods to it, take a look at it. Everything looks great. The bees are coming and going. Then we have a cold spell. And I was not terribly worried. The, the hive was actually in decent condition and had a decent population whenever I first set it out there. So after the cold spell dissipates and goes away, I go back down there to check on the colony again. 
And when I get down there, I notice something that's definitely not okay. There are ants everywhere, and the bees are fighting the ants at the entrance of the colony. And it's all-out warfare, and I'm like, oh, no. I didn't even think about it. We had ants down in Texas, and there were there were fire ants for certain, but I never really had any issues with the fire ants messing with anything in the hives. The other ants that were a bigger nuisance for me down there were the wood ants. And the wood ants, kind of like a termite and aptly named, chew through wood, and they're a pain in the butt. So they were a little bit more destructive and damaging to the hives, but they still didn't cause any problems for the bees themselves. They just happily partaked from the heat that the bees generated, and they would get up underneath the hive and between like the stone and the bottom board, or they would get up in the top of the hive between the inner cover and the roof or on the top bars, on the top of the bars underneath the roof. So it was really just, they were a nuisance. And of course, they're small enough and they can sting like a, hmm, they could fit into the little holes of the suits and yeah, it would just cause problems. But they didn't hurt the colony. That's the main point. So I wasn't really prepared for this. You know, we've talked on the show before about ant problems and things like that. And it just so happens I do have an ant stand. It is made by Defiant. And that is spelled as Defy and, of course, ant because them damn little devils (laughs) so the defiant ant stands are a metal welded frame that have a dish or bowl at the bottom of each leg and then a metal cupped umbrella of sorts above that that can screw up and down and what you do is you raise this little metal cover up and you fill these bowl-shaped feet with oil And then you can screw that umbrella back down so that it keeps rain and wind and things from getting into the oil. As the ants try to climb up, they're going to go up this bowl and then they have to go down into the oil, which they cannot cross. And therefore, ta-da, you have defied the ants. That's the goal. That's the plan. And it works. And I love them. And they're awesome. And they are from Texas. So you can totally look them up. I would highly recommend them if you're using Langstroth equipment and you ever have problems with ants do it. But unfortunately for me, this was a little bit too late. Too little too late. In fact, they had already caused enough of a problem over the course of the week that I didn't go out there and look. And they may have honestly started the week prior to that first little cold snap hitting because the colony was uber stressed out and uber weak. And the population, well... She just uh, wasn't so robust as she was when I put her out there. (laughs) Oh, I laugh because sometimes that's all you can do, right? Okay, so when I went back and I took a look at this and I saw they still have plenty of food stores, thank God, but the population was very, very small. And it had started off decent, but at this point, there's really not much else that I can do. I have no other colonies. (laughs) I have nothing that I can go through and supplement them with. It is just what it is, and I have to just let nature take its course and see what happens. I have stopped the invasion, and now the rest is just up to the bees. So another cold front comes through, and they manage to hang on, and I mean just barely. In fact, I kind of think that it got cold enough that the outer shell of the cluster probably frozen died and the inner core part of the cluster managed to stay just warm enough to stay alive because when I went back out and checked them again even weaker and then a third cold snap comes through 
And that cold snap is one of the ones that you now see out there with the beautiful snow pictures everywhere and my one solitary hive with the S on the front of it. After that cold front and the snow went away, it did get back up to 60. So I was able to go out there and crack the inner cover, open her up, and to my dismay, but honestly not shock, the bees were dead. There was a teeny tiny little cluster in the upper portion of one of the combs, and the queen was right there with them. Plenty of food there, but just not enough bees to keep them warm. So, there you have it. That is the short life of Obi-Wan Colony. <laughs> Didn't get to make it to a sequel. Didn't get to see the next spring. So there we are. I officially no longer live in Texas. I officially am now in the Ozark Mountains. It's beautiful, and I have no bees. <laughs> A master beekeeper with no bees. So, now what? Where do I go from here? Did I mention that I have chickens? <laughs> the house came with chickens. And actually, at times, you may hear little chirps here and there in the background. They're the cutest little things. And why would you be hearing them on the recording? Well, that's because somebody, <coughs> me, had the brilliant idea that the chickens that came with the house just weren't quite enough. And they all lay these kind of meh colored eggs. <laughs> I mean... They're not white, but they're not brown. They're kind of like a creamish tan color. And I'm a little bit of an egg snob. I'll admit it. I want a rainbow color of eggs. I want all the different shades and the colors. I don't want white eggs. Get, get the white eggs out of here. Everybody's got white eggs. That's no fun. I want the really cool ones, the pretty ones, the blues and the greens and the shades in between, the dark chocolate browns, you know. Add some variety and spice up your life in there. Open up that egg carton and wow yourself. I don't know. The whole point of that, though, was I decided that I could actually cheat and get a jump start on next year and have hens that were at the age and maturity where they could actually start laying eggs right about the time summer hit if I got a hold of some hatching eggs and hatched them myself, which I've done before in the past, right here inside the house, in the basement, in the middle of winter. <laughs> so now, I share an office and studio with nine very happy, very chirpy, <laughs> as you just heard this squeak in the background, baby chicks, and they are the cutest, coolest little things in the world. However, I now have to be creative and figure out what on earth I am going to do with these chicks until March, because they cannot go outside until their feathers are fully in, and at the moment, if I were to put them out there, one, yes, it's too cold, and two, they were not raised with this flock. Nobody there is going to mother hen them, so to speak. Nobody's going to protect them, so they would not be long for the world. They would get too cold, and it wouldn't be pretty. So they have to stay inside with me. I get to be the mama hen. woo -hoo. <laughs> And I have started working on getting them acclimated to, you know, human contact and people being around and being touched and picked up and things like that so that they will be very tame by the time they do finally get to go outside. I am also working on an expansion of the chicken coop and a storage shed that goes along with it. Those of you who do listen on Patreon, this is not news to you. Uh, the reason I need the expansion to the storage shed, which also is just leading to, well, if I'm building the building bigger, 
building the building. <laughs> if I'm building the building bigger, I did it again. Um, I might as well go ahead and, you know, expand the coop. And then if I'm expanding the coop, I might as well expand the chicken run as well because they need space to get out there and stretch their little legs. So we want the girls to be happy just like we do with our bees, right? So I'm expanding the shed though, because even though I sold off a ton of equipment and when I say sold it off, we're talking like fire cell, basement bargain, bottom prices. <laughs> I posted a couple thousand dollars worth of crap online for like 200 bucks <laughs> and instantly my feed just blew up with messages. Oh my God, is it still there? I'm coming over right now, you know? And it was like, it was chaos and people were fighting over it, but I needed it to be gone and I needed it to be gone quickly. And I priced it absolutely so absurd that Natalie herself, Mrs. I Love Top Bar Hives, was seriously tempted of buying all of this Langstroth stuff just because it was so ridiculously cheap. <laughs> but she did not actually make it there in time because it, it literally was not even 30 seconds after I submitted it. People were already interested in it. And uh, luckily, it was all gone very quickly, which was awesome because that freed up space in the garage. I was able to clean out my storage unit and I got all that crap out of the driveway. So it's all gone. But I did bring some things with me because I did have that OB1 colony. So what I had kept was an eight-frame cypress wood hive that was naturally stained. And I've got all of the additional boxes that go with it. And this eight-frame box would then consist of one deep, and I think I've got four or five mediums that go along with it. All of the frames and drawn comb and everything else that goes along with it as well. Plus, I have my little two-frame extractor that Jorge and I used for other little experimentation things with some honey extracting where we wanted to do hyper-unique, hyper-local, individualized extractions. And then I've got the big extractor for all the rest of the normal frame extracting as well. All of that stuff needs a home because at the moment it is sitting on the back deck and I really don't need it out there in the elements and in the weather. And all of the other storage spaces are kind of getting full and the bee stuff just it really doesn't go with the rest of the stuff in any of the storage areas. So the shed is the most logical place. But at the moment, the shed is not that big. So I am literally doubling the size of the shed, adding an additional 64 square foot to the whole thing. And yeah, so again, if you're building, hey, why not just build on more? So that's what's occupying me right now over the winter months is basically planning and preparation. I have a couple of swarm traps out there. I went ahead and left the hive out there as well because, hey, it's the middle of winter. It keeps getting frigid outside. I'm not really too concerned about anything getting inside it and messing it up at this point. The ants can't get in there. And other colonies have already come and happily robbed out all of the honey and nectar that was left in the colony the first chance they got after it warmed up and the other colony was gone. So I'm leaving it. Maybe a swarm will move in in the spring. Fingers crossed. One can always hope. But I do have a couple of other swarm traps out there. I'm in the process of building a top bar hive. And now I've got a complete clean slate where I can literally do whatever I want to do. I can start off the way that I originally would have preferred to have started off. And now that I only have a single Langstroth hive set up, I can grow all top bars and not really worry about the rest of the Langstroths. I mean, that that was, if you remember back in the early days, 
that was the goal. I started with Langstroth's. I learned about Top Bar, decided I liked that better. It became more economical, more user-friendly. It helped me a lot when I was doing removals. So I went ahead and I transitioned everything over to Top Bar and I tried to get rid of all my Langstroth's. But then, you know, tables turned and everything flip-flopped and I started getting donations, especially when COVID happened and schools and everybody started shutting down. There were hives and locations where no longer there were going to be people who could go out there and maintain them. And so they just wanted to make sure they found a good home. Things got donated back in. And suddenly I ended up with more Langstroth's than I had top bars again, which was completely the opposite of the plan. Now I can fix that. I can start back over, I can build top bars, I can experiment with things. I've got a clean slate to re-envision what my beekeeping is gonna look like, what my company is gonna look like, what the business structure is gonna be. All of it is completely brand new, and I'm super, super stoked for that. I cannot wait to see how that turns out. It's always fun to start a new adventure and a new journey, and that's kind of what the whole point of the podcast is, right? The Hive Jive. Follow us on our beekeeping adventures. We are here to help you along your own beekeeping journey and your own beekeeping adventures. That's the whole point. That's the whole design of this entire podcast. So now we get to take a completely new look. I get to experience things from a new perspective, a new region. This means new floral sources, new flow patterns, new timing. All of it's going to be different. I no longer have the quote-unquote Texas red-headed mutts. There isn't any more of this mixed genetic strain from down there in Texas that I have to you know, go through and deal with or accommodate for. It's a completely different strain of bee up here that is all mixed up, just like it was down there, but different genetics, different aspects. The whole profile is going to be different. So the whole thing is this exciting opportunity to learn and grow and expand myself in the process of rebuilding the apiary. So now that you know what's up with me <laughs> and all of the craziness that has ensued over the past couple of months, you also now have a tiny little bit of a taste of some of the things that will be coming down the road that you're going to be able to hear glimpses on on the show in future episodes. And as I mentioned earlier, there is a fourth season of the show. This fourth season is currently in pre-production. And I say that because it is a little bit of an undertaking. I have an idea in my head that I want to work out, and I'm trying to get the logistics of it to work correctly. And I think to make it work properly, it's going to have to all be pre-recorded. And then once the whole thing is done, just like a series on TV, then it can turn around and it can be released. I think that's kind of the way that we're going to have to go with it. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. Uh, it's lots of coordinating, lots of logistics, and I, I want it to all come out and hopefully come together correctly. We'll see. We'll see. I have high hopes for it. Let me put it that way. Speaking of TV, <laughs> the last little update that I will give everybody here before signing off and slipping back out there into the shadows of the sound waves in the podcast world, I am on TV. <laughs> So for our listeners down in Australia, you all figured this out a little while back, a few months ago, actually. There was a TV series, a little docu-series or reality TV show that in Australia they called The Bee Whisperer. And this is Charlie, and Charlie has Charlie Bee Company, located in Texas, down south of Austin in New Bromfields. Charlie and I know each other, we've worked together before, and I am featured in one of the episodes of the TV show. Well, here in January, the TV show was released on PBS 
first off, locally only in the Austin area. So Central Texas, PBS, there is now a TV show that in the States is called Charlie B Company. And I believe I'm in episode number two, I think. But don't quote me on that because unfortunately... It's only released in Texas, and I don't live in Texas, so I haven't been able to see it. And it is driving me absolutely crazy because our listeners in Australia have been happily telling me things about it and sending me messages and trying to send me links to it, but I can't watch them because I'm not in that same region, so it won't let me. And now I've got a few people in the Austin area who have seen it and are sending me messages, and it's literally just driving me crazy. So if you have the opportunity, definitely go out there and check it out. Let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy it. And hopefully for everybody else, I believe sometime closer to summer, it is supposed to go full release on any PBS station you'll be able to then go through and find it then. So check it out if you can find it. Charlie B Company, like I said, I think it's episode two. And uh, let me know what you think, because I can't watch it, so somebody should. (laughs) Anyhow, there you go. There is a little update what's going on behind the scenes here, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain (laughs) into my life and the craziness that it is. I swear I haven't lost my mind, um, although that could be debated. (laughs) So thank you for taking the time to tune in here to this random little episode. It was great to be able to come back out on the airwaves and chat with you and fill you in with what's going on. And, uh, you know, I just had a little bit of pent up energy in there, needed to get it out of the system. And, you know, everybody likes a fun story, especially after that last episode. So Definitely looking forward to the fourth season. Bear with me. It is in pre-production. It will happen. I haven't forgotten about you. It's coming. There will be more hive jive in your life soon enough. But until then, as always, say it with me. Be good, everybody. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. You truly are the bee's knees.